Welcome to Business Brief, Missouri Business Alert's podcast focused on the business news and issues shaping the state. In this episode, we'll dive into what the passage of an amendment legalizing recreational marijuana means for Missouri businesses. Then, we'll hear from an expert on how small businesses can tell their story to the media. My name is Siggy Reese, and I'm joined by my co-host, Teddy Mallorca. Teddy, how are you doing this week? Siggy, I am doing well. I know we've said that uh, the warm weather was going to be gone for the rest of the year, but here we are. It's 70 in November, but a cold front coming up will definitely uh, bookend that for us. Yeah, I was actually supposed to uh, go to an amusement park uh, over in Kansas City this weekend, but they closed due to the temperatures, so that kind of just shows you how cold it'll be here in Missouri. (sighs) I guess you'll have to wait till spring. You ready to get into this week's headlines? Absolutely. Let's do it. U.S. consumer prices rose 7.7% in the 12 months through October, less than the expectations of economists polled by Reuters. October's numbers marked the first time year-over-year inflation has been below 8% in the past eight months. Prices increased four-tenths of a percent from September to October, also lower than expectations, as the Federal Reserve fights to rein in rising prices. Missouri's congressional delegation will have a new look next year. In this week's midterms, Missourians elected Eric Schmidt, the state's Republican attorney general, to the U.S. Senate. The state will send two other Republican congressmen to Washington for the first time. Former TV anchor Mark Alford will represent the 4th Congressional District, and former state lawmaker Eric Burleson will represent the 7th District. At the state level, Missouri Treasurer Scott Fitzpatrick won the race for auditor. And we'll get into the biggest business story, the legalization of recreational marijuana, later in the episode. One of the country's major railroad labor unions pushed back a potential strike until early December. The deadline for a work stoppage was previously November 19th, but it has been delayed to allow more time for negotiations. Railroads are offering significant raises. However, workers are still advocating for the inclusion of paid sick time and other quality-of-life concerns in contracts. To prevent a strike, all 12 railroad unions must agree to their deals. As of Wednesday, seven unions have agreed to contracts, but two have rejected theirs, with three others voting this month. Private equity firm Blackstone has signaled plans to keep a major employer in the St. Louis area after its acquisition. Blackstone is acquiring a majority stake of the Climate Technologies Unit of Emerson Electric. The deal, which includes the Climate Technologies headquarters in the St. Louis area, values the business at $14 billion. Blackstone said it will keep the headquarters in the area despite speculation that the deal may lead to relocation. And finally, the Missouri Department of Elementary and Secondary Education is planning to cut its required hours of college credits for substitute teachers to 36 from the previous 60. The change is expected to be authorized at the department's meeting on Monday and was originally authorized this summer when Governor Mike Parson signed legislation. The change is a response to school staffing shortages and it lowers requirements to help more Missourians become eligible to substitute teach. On our next segment, we're going to be talking about a topic Siggy and I are very familiar with as reporters. Siggy, do you get pitches from media outlets often? Yeah, I've definitely gotten a few in my inbox, both good and bad ones. Same here. There's definitely an art to pitching your business to get media coverage. This week, reporter Emily Hood sat down with Denise Bentelli, the president, CEO, and founder of Common Ground Public Relations, to hear more about ways business owners can earn media coverage. Denise, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Absolutely. I'm glad to be here. So I want to start first with some baseline definitions here. So Denise, can you tell me what earned media coverage means? 
earn um, is the space that we work in, um, in particularly in media relations, which I know is what you want to talk about today. But earned channels are where you're earning the coverage or the interest of a reporter to then turn into a story, which will then run on their platform. Um, and uh, that we also will, will take earned a little bit wider um, and include things like awards or being invited to speak at a conference. Um, those are all opportunities that are earned because you either have a good story to tell or your reputation has brought you there. Just like you inviting me here today. I earned this in theory over the years of uh, being a reputable business person and uh, building an agency. So um, that's what the earned channel defines. We're good at it is because we understand it's not just a matter of People should care about my story, so why don't they? We, we understand there's a, a method to the madness, if you will. Gotcha, gotcha. And how can getting media coverage for a business help raise that the opinion of that business to consumers? Or what, do, what does it mean to consumers to be able to see a news story about a business? In general, people trust information they are receiving from an independent news outlet. Now, we know in the last handful of years, there's been a lot of manipulation in how people are receiving information. But in general, people trust when they're reading a news story, it appears vetted, um, it, it is linked to a trend, you know, so you're, you're reading about something that has high value. Um, and so the end consumer tends to really trust something that they read um, in, in media. Two, um, the the organic nature of earned media and a media placement means that it really can live on the internet. It will be searchable. It'll it'll um, support your SEO. Um, those stories live. And a, a, a traditional advertisement is not searchable. You're not going to find that when you go. I'm going to look up. Emily Hood, or I'm going to look up Common Ground Public Relations. You're going to see news stories about us. You're going to see information about our social media. You're going to see information about awards we've won. You won't find an ad that I might have run in a given news outlet, just as, as an example, or given media. So can you talk a bit about the importance of having a newsworthy tag to your pitches and how you can go, and you go about figuring out what that newsworthy tag is? When we go through a proper messaging session. Part of what that session helps do and what I would encourage any of the listeners to do is really think about your business and think about how it impacts people's lives or other companies' lives if you're a B2B um, kind of business um, and all the different aspects of, of your business, of your product or of your service um, and when it comes into play. So using simpler examples, let's say we're talking about a hotel. Um, a hotel has stories related to overnight stays, staycations, and can tie those to particularly romantic holidays, right? Maybe maybe Valentine's Day or maybe in the summer, lots of summer travel, how to travel with, with your kids or how to travel with the dog or that sort of thing. So take that hotel example and apply that to your business and really think about where you come into play um, throughout the course of a year. If you're a legitimate business serving people successfully, I guarantee you, you have multiple stories to tell. And it's just a matter of finding the right way to tell those stories. What are the biggest mistakes you see business owners making when trying to get media coverage? I think sometimes business owners, um, people who don't work in our field, they're just convinced um, they love their product so much. They can't understand sometimes how we have to make it fit in the broader world. 
So they're, they're sold, they drank their Kool-Aid and that's great. <laughs> that's fine. But we need to understand, we still need to find a way to make that fit into the broader conversation that's happening in the world. Um, and then I expanding on that just a little bit more, we call it the curse of knowledge. Sometimes people in, in their field, um, going back to my professor so-and-so at Mizzou, they know so much about that topic they almost kill us with information and they come out with a whole bunch of data or a whole bunch of random information before they gave us the gist. So you always want to come in with a, your reason for being, your so what, who cares, your gist first, then follow with the details. So that is all the time we have today. I want to thank our guest, Denise. Thank you so much for being here and providing this insight for our audience. Thank you. It's been fun. It's gone fast. Missouri voters on Tuesday approved Amendment 3, which legalizes recreational marijuana use in the state. To talk about what that amendment will mean now that it's approved, we welcome back Dan Micah, who has been covering the story for Missouri Business Alert. Dan, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So you were at a watch party uh, in Columbia on Wednesday night. What were those reactions like when the amendment was passed? That's kind of a difficult question because early on we saw uh, a really big jump out in the no vote category. But as more counties started to report, we started to see more of the, the population centers in some of the blue counties in Missouri start to report more of their figures. Um, I would say around 1130 to, to midnight, uh, the group that was still at that watch party were, were feeling very confident that Amendment 3 was going to pass. The headline provision of this amendment is legalizing recreational marijuana use, but there's a lot more to it. Can you remind us what else it includes? So it also includes automatic expungement for most nonviolent uh, uh, cannabis-related crimes. So if you were convicted of uh, of like petty possession a couple of years ago, um, that's we're now in the process. The state is just going to make it so that never appears in your record. You know, if that's been holding you back from being able to get a job. That could allow more people to get into the workforce or move their way up through the workforce. Um, it also allows current inmates uh, serving time for uh, certain cannabis-related crimes to appeal to have their sentences uh, commuted. Uh, it also uh, sets across uh, a 6% tax uh, on all the recreational marijuana sales. There's also a bit of discussion and a bit of uh, regulation around who can get a license and how many license are going, licenses are being divvied up specifically for people. Uh, they, they're called micro-businesses and micro-licenses. People with, um, that are uh, disadvantaged have little capital on hand or have been in communities that are, were affected by the war on drugs um, have a little bit of support through this amendment to start up their own, their own businesses. Can you kind of quantify that economic impact in the market size? So the market size is going to be a little bit difficult to figure that out right off the right off the top. It's going to take some time, but the state um, state analysts currently expect that it's going to generate probably in the first year just under eight million dollars in tax revenues, and if you know according to their estimates, could rise up to at least forty point eight million dollars in tax revenue annual annually. So what that implies is that potentially up to $680 million worth of uh, recreational marijuana could be sold annually. That's a huge amount of money. And we're not talking about the potential knock-on effects of delivery service, of uh, construction work, of kind of the, the, the shovel and, and pickaxe kind of side of just building and maintaining these facilities. 
this is going to be a, a very big market once it starts once it starts and, and kind of matures into something that resembles Colorado or Illinois in in their uh, medical or in their recreational marijuana markets. So tell me about, you know, the timeline of what's going to happen next after this amendment is passed. Right now, we're going to be in this period where dispensaries are going to be uh, that currently exist and currently are selling me- uh, medical marijuana are going to uh, register for their licenses to be changed over from just medical to a combination of medical and recreational marijuana. Probably early February, I would estimate, is when we would start to see people being able to go into a dispensary without a, a, a marijuana, a medical card and say, you know, I'd like to buy a joint or I'd like to buy an edible. Um, here's some money and being able to do that without uh, without legal consequences. What are a couple of big stories you're keeping an eye on as Missouri moves to that implementation and we move forward to those um, that December 8th deadline? I think that we're going to see just in the December 8th deadline and beyond that into early next year, we're going to see we're going to have to really focus on where new dispensaries are being uh, registered, where people are proposing to build or or to convert buildings into dispensaries. So it's going to be interesting to see where small independent mom and pops pop up and and just to see how they are planning to to compete against multi-state operators or the medical marijuana industry that currently exists. It's going to be interesting to see that kind of dichotomy. Um, that ha- that was definitely something that certain portions of uh, the progressive movement in Missouri um, were fighting against, specifically because they felt that it didn't provide enough resources for independents and mom and pops and communities that were uh, have been affected by the war on drugs and its consequences to compete against the existing apparatus of, of medical marijuana purveyors. I think that's going to be something just to keep an eye on in, in the early days and then obviously just tracking the numbers and see if recreational marijuana is as popular as the state analysts expect it to be. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for you know taking the time uh, to sit and chat with me about this. Um, looking forward to hearing more soon. Thank you very much. It is now time for us to get into our words of the week. Teddy, what's your word this week? This week, Siggy, my word is drinkwits. Okay, and I assume you're referring to Mizzou's football coach. Why is he in the news? You're correct. And Coach Eli Drinkwits is getting a contract extension and a raise. Under the new contract, Drinkwits will make $6 million next season, compared to this year's $4 million. The contract also includes yearly incremental raises, which will result in a $7 million salary in the final year of the contract, 2027. Interesting. And what's so significant about this? Well, this raise makes Drinkwitz the highest paid coach in Mizzou history, regardless of sport. And Drinkwitz was already the highest paid employee in the state, but now he will be by an even higher margin. Wow, that's quite an accomplishment. Definitely. That's all I've got this week, Siggy. What's your word? This week, my word is recovery. What kind of recovery are we talking about? So the October jobs report shows that the number of women in the workforce has not yet returned to pre-pandemic levels. Yikes. So what are the details there? Well, in February 2020, before the pandemic rocked the labor market, there were nearly 78 million women in the workforce. As of this October, that number is less than 77 million. Got it. So how does that compare to numbers for men? 
Well, men have bounced back above pre-pandemic levels, according to the data. In February 2020, there were 87 million men in the workforce. And as of this October, that number is nearly 88 million. Interesting. So what do these numbers all mean? When women drop out of the labor force, they lose ground in terms of wages and building wealth. And at a high level, women missing from the workforce can hold back the economy as a whole. So we're feeling the slow recovery in different ways. For a closing thought, here's Denise Bentelli on how to get your business covered by the media. Be authentic. Nobody wants to feel like you're giving them a canned, um, overly scripted message um, or something that corporate sent out. Always practice, know what you want to say, know why you're there, and make sure you have some good, compelling information to share. Well, that is all for this week. Thank you to the M33 Project for providing music for this episode. For my co-host, Teddy Mallorca, editors Cole Miller, Katie Quinn, Skylar Rossi, and Michael Stacy. I'm Siggy Reese, and this has been Business Brief. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.